Well, good morning, BT. It is so good to see you, so good to be with you this morning. My name is Louie. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at BT Church, and uh, it's so good to be here at our McAllen campus. I have had the privilege of being at our Sherryland campus lately. Uh, uh, those of you that are part of our church family know that we're in a transition at our Sherryland campus as Pastor Juan and his family uh, moved on, and uh, uh, so I am there in the interim at our Sherryland campus until God appoints uh, the pastor that he has for us. Uh, for our future there at Sherryland. So I would appreciate your prayers for our church as we pray for the person that God has for us in Sherryland. We know that God knows who that is, uh, and he will reveal it to us, but I'm having the privilege of being there in the meantime. And so it's good to be back in McAllen. I never assume that everybody is part of the family when we gather to worship King Jesus. I don't ever assume that everybody knows what's going on at BT Church, because there's always something going on at BT Church. Amen. Thank God for that. Thank God that he is moving in our midst. He's moving amongst our people. He's moving amongst our church family, and I'm grateful for that. But I never assume that you're part of the family. So if you're not familiar with BT Church, as I mentioned, I'm one of the pastors. I'm not the senior pastor. Our senior pastor is Chris Dupree, and uh, we have a, a wonderful senior pastor who's filled with crazy faith. And uh, he'll bring stuff to us from time to time as a church, and we're like, here we go again, here we go again, and we're grateful for that. I say all that to say that BT Church is one church that meets in several locations throughout South Texas. You see, BT has been given a vision by God to love and to reach South Texas, all of South Texas in one way or another. And so one of the ways that we're doing that is through our locations. We are not one church in just this location. We are one church in five physical locations, grateful for what God is doing uh, throughout our church. As you heard me mention already, we have a campus in Sherryland. Which is, which is here in the valley, connected to McAllen. We have a, uh, uh, obviously, we're here in McAllen, and then we have a campus in Edinburgh. We also have a, a campus in Alice, and we have a campus in Kingsville. And we're so excited about what God is doing and how God is moving throughout our campuses. That's our five physical campuses. And as you heard Pastor Danny during the welcome, we have a sixth campus, and that's our online campus. So once again, church, would you help me welcome everybody that's watching online today? Thank you for joining us. We're so grateful that you're with us this morning, wherever you're watching from. We love to hear, we love to read the comments of wherever you're tuning in from. We always love to know where folks are, are watching from. That's what I love about our online campus. I say, well, kind of where is our online campus from? It's from everywhere. We got people that watch, praise God, from all parts of the world. And that's a great thing to know that the gospel is being sent out from here. Amen. God is doing some great things across our campuses and Today, we are wrapping up what has been a very powerful series in the life of our church, a series called Operation. And so as we are, are wrapping this series up, talking about how God is moving across our different locations, so on, I want to reiterate also that if this is one of your first times with us, that's why I've shared what I've shared. I want you to be aware of our church and what's going on, what God is doing. But if this is one of your first times with us, man, we are thrilled that you're here, and, and, I, and I do want to ask you... Uh, the same thing that Pastor Danny did, and that is uh, to text the word or the phrase BTVIP, because you are our VIPs this morning, to the number 97,000. We would love to connect with you. We'd love to be able to better serve you. That's why we're here. That's why we exist, as we all exist together as a church family, to hail King Jesus. Amen? That's what we're here for. That's what we're here to do. We're here to hail the name of King Jesus. We're here to learn and grow in our faith um, as we learn from him. And so we've been in this series called Operation, and, and uh, you know, as we announced this series, even as you came probably the first or second week, you, 
If you're wondering what is this series about, you might have seen the game out in the foyer and people were playing that old school operation game and so on. And we've been talking about how God is doing an operation in us, how he's doing an operation in us individually as he calls us to be his and he's, he's transforming us. That is our mission here at BT Church is to lead people to live transformed lives in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. He's the one who transforms us. That's another way of saying making disciples. When we come to know Jesus, he will change us. This is what this series has been about, how God changes us. And one thing we've learned is that when God changes you as an individual, it happens from the inside out, not the outside in. Amen? True change, lasting change happens from the inside out. And that's why in week one of this series, we talked about how when God transforms us, he begins with the heart. And when he begins with our heart, he doesn't give us a better heart. He doesn't make our heart better. You can't make something that's dead better, right? And until we know Christ, our, our hearts are, are dead. Uh, yeah, we might have a physical heart that's beating, but spiritually, our hearts are dead. That might be hard to hear this morning, but it's the truth because until we know Jesus, do we truly know what life is? Do we truly know what we're here for until we are called and, and he's transformed our hearts? Um, it's what we call being born again. It's what we call uh, coming to faith in Christ, right? And he begins that transformation. He doesn't make, give us a better heart. He doesn't make our heart better. He gives us a brand new heart, amen? And, uh, and we're forever changed. It's what we just sang about, that on that day that, that, that Jesus breathed and, and, and he declared victory over the grave and over the tomb and over Satan, that he gave us the victory when we believe in him and he changes our life forever, Amen. You know, this a week from a week from today, next Sunday, I happen to know the date next Sunday, not because, praise God, it's the start of football season, not praise God, because, it, you know, we're starting a brand new series next Sunday. Next Sunday happens to be my 34th birthday, 34th birthday. And I know I need to address it because some of you are like, there ain't no way you're 34, bro. And that's true. I'm not 34, but it's my 34th spiritual birthday. See, next Sunday is the day I became a Christian, and on September 3rd of 1988, when I was a senior at Mackay, in the Mackay Gymnasium, at an FCA rally, I heard a man named Oscar Roan, who had played for the Cleveland Browns, declare the gospel to me in that gym that night, and I responded personally to God's call on my life for salvation. I got out of the bleachers. I walked down the gym floor, and not that that had anything to do with it, because God changes your heart. It's not about getting out of a chair, although that's cool if you do that. And I walked down, and I declared my faith in Christ that night, 34 years ago next week, and I've never been the same, and I've never gotten over it. I've never gotten over it, and I pray that you never get over your salvation. I pray that you never get over the fact that God loved you and he called you to be his and you responded and you said yes and you became his son or you became his daughter. Amen. Amen. And that's how God started to change. He gave you a brand new heart. But then we talked about that once God changes your heart, he needs to begin to change the way you think. So the next step in the operation is that God begins to renew our mind, right? We talked about being transformed, living transformed lives, being transformed by the renewing of our mind, which means we got to be engaged with God and his word because he's going to change the way we think. And he's going to start teaching us, molding us, shaping us, showing us how to think like he does. So we think like his word wants us to think. We think like the way that he thinks. He begins and continues that operation. He gives us a new heart, 
And then he begins to transform our minds by the way we think. And we said that once he begins to transform the way we think, it's going to become evident in what we say because what's in here and especially what's in here is going to come out here. You talk about the things that you love. You talk about the things that you're passionate about. You talk about the things that, 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 that people need to tell you, man, can you, enough? Can you quit talking about that? Because that's what's in here. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so, you know, I know some of you all, and I know what I'm going to talk about when I talk to you all. Because I know what you're passionate about, and I know what comes out of your heart. You talk to me, you know what's going to come out of my heart. You know what's passionate. You know you're not going to speak with me for more than a couple minutes before you hear about my wife and my children and what they're doing. You're not going to speak to me for more than a couple minutes before you hear about my beloved Longhorns and my Texans. Praise God. What's in here comes out. Amen. But like I've said, and I, like I, I told our, our folks in Sherry, I pray that the one thing you hear from me most of all and that you get sick of when you talk to me is you get sick of hearing about Jesus. Because I don't want to talk about anything more than I talk about Jesus. Man, I can't even sing the last song that we sang without breaking down. I'm like, I'm, I'm looking at the order of service like, man, i got to preach after all hail King Jesus. That means I'm going to have to gather myself together because I just can't get through that song. It's all about Jesus. Our lives, they need to be all about Jesus when he's placed his call on our life. So what do you mean the call, Pastor? I understand you're called to be a pastor. That's not the calling I'm talking about. The calling I'm talking about, I'm going to show you in Scripture right now. When Jesus has a call on your life, you can't help but speak about him and talk about him and tell others about him and invite others to your family of faith where you get together with people that you know and love and you worship King Jesus. Amen? There's nothing better than that. There's just nothing better than that. So God begins to do a work on our mouth and the way we speak and our, we realize that what we speak, we're, we're to sing God's praises, right? And then, if you're here with us last week, we talked about that as we begin to think like God and speak and sing his praises and so on, that it's important that we fix our eyes on Jesus. So he does a, an operation on our eyes. He gives us that, that, that LASIK, right? So we can focus on him. And if we're going to run our race to win, then we better fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As we're living our life, as we're running our race for him, for his glory, we know that we stay in our lane. It's our individual race, but we know that we got to keep our eyes on the goal, on the finish line, and that's Jesus. He's the one we're running towards. He's the one we're running for, right? And what I loved about what we learned last week is that we have an individual race to run. You've got your lane, I've got my lane. You've got your race, I've got my race. You've got your life, I've got my life. But what I love about this is that when we're competing, yes, we're the ones that are running our race and we're in that lane and so on. But as we're training, as we're getting better, as we're becoming better runners, we don't train by ourselves. We train with a team. We train with each other. We need each other. We make each other better. We make each other stronger. We pick each other up when we fall. Uh, we need that as we are training for that race. Amen? We need each other. That's what I love about it. When you study the world-class runners, you study Olympic runners, they never train by themselves. They have teammates that they run with who challenge them and, and make them sharper and make them better and are there to pick them up when they fall. That's who the church needs to be. We need to encourage each other in our race in our walk, when our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And that brings us to today as we wrap up this series. So I want to take you to the, the next area where God needs to, to work on us and do an operation as we talk about our body and so on, and that's our walk. 
That's the, the lower part of our body, if you will, our, our feet, our legs. Because here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to see how things are correlated. Wherever we have our eyes focused on, that's where our feet are going to go. Our feet will follow. Our feet will follow where we're watching. That's just a natural, that's natural part of kinetics. That's natural part of athletics. Uh, if you're a coach, you know that. You teach your athletes in whatever sport you're playing. Wherever your eyes go, that's where your feet are going to go, right? So if you want to change direction, you, you've got to turn here first before your feet will follow. It's the same principle in our spiritual walk. Wherever our eyes are focused, that's where our feet are going to go. And we got to be worthy to, to walk in the calling that God has given us. We got to be worthy to walk in, the, call, in the, the calling that God has given us. That being said, I want to ask you to open this morning to the book of Ephesians. Book of Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, as we talk about walking worthy of the calling that God has given us. Walking worthy of the calling of the calling that God has given us. What I love about our race is I talked about it's an individual race. But we have teammates to help us along the way, and we keep our eyes on Jesus. If you were here last week, we talked about Hebrews 12 and keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, uh, you know, getting rid of the sin that so easily entangles us so we can run our race to win. And we talked about that in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, it's that hall of fame of faith of people that did great things for God. They weren't perfect, but God was able to do great things through them. And, and he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You see, it's okay to glance at the saints. We can read about the saints in Hebrews 11. We can glance at them and learn from their example, but we don't want to fix our eyes on them. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus, right? So we can glance at the saints, but we're going to gaze at Jesus. We're going to fix our gaze on Jesus. We're going to put our stare on Jesus. Even Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? That's a, that's a, that's a heavy statement for you to tell somebody, man, follow me as I follow Jesus, we're called to do that. We're called to help others in their walk, and we can be an example to them, but even as we are, I hope that they just glance at us, but they fix their gaze on Jesus. He's the one that our eyes need to be on, because wherever we're looking, our feet will follow, right? Look at what Paul says to us as he writes to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to look at the first six verses of chapter 4. Read along with me silently there in your Bible or on the screen as I read to you from Holy Scripture, this is what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, I, Paul, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received. There's, there it is again. Pastor, calling, calling. What are you talking about here? We're going to explain that in just a minute. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. He's speaking to the church how we're supposed to be interacting, how we're supposed to be treating each other, making every effort to keep the unity. That's big right there. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, through the bond of peace. Because church, understand this, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling. There it is again, the word calling. What is he talking about? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Woo! That's just the beginning of that chapter. My goodness. And here he's challenging the church. He's calling the church saying, since God is doing a transforming work in you, 
Now, when did that work begin? That work that he started transforming you. As I mentioned, next week is my spiritual birthday. It's when I was born again, right? I was 17 years old. Yeah, you, some of you have done the math, 17 and 34. I'm 51 years old. Yes, amen. <laughs> Praise God. All right? That's when the work begins. That's when the race begins, when you receive your calling to salvation. When God extends a call to you and you sense the Holy Spirit convicting you of your need of Jesus and you recognize that you're a sinner and you recognize that your only hope, your only hope in this lifetime and your only hope for eternity is Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and his glorious resurrection. Because church, I love saying this every time we get together, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changed everything. That's what sets Christianity apart from every other faith, every other belief system in the world. People say that all the time to me. How can you know that you have the truth? Christians claim to have the truth. Muslims claim to have the truth. Jews claim to have the truth. Jehovah's Witnesses claim to have the truth. Mormons claim to have the truth. I can't make any sense of it at all. When you are looking for the truth, you will find him. Truth is not a statement. Truth is not a philosophy. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the truth. And the reason I can be confident in saying that is when you're sincerely seeking the truth in your heart, and sometimes, let's face it, when Jesus calls you, you weren't looking for him. When I got saved on September 3rd, 1988, I didn't wake up that morning saying to myself, I need Jesus. I wasn't looking for him. I thought I was a pretty good kid. I'm doing all right. I'm a good person. God knows my heart. That's the problem as we've learned in this series. We need a new heart because God knows our heart. The Bible says the heart is wicked. Who can understand it? Right? I didn't get up that morning thinking I need Jesus. I'm going to go find Jesus today. I'm glad he found me. I'm glad he called me. I'm glad I was wise enough to listen when he called me. See, that's when it starts is when he calls you. But now what Paul is urging the church to do is saying it's an individual call, but you've got to understand something. When God calls you individually, you will not be an individual any longer as far as your walk with God because you're going to have a family of faith around you to support you and strengthen you and pick you up when you fall. That's what the church is for. Amen, church? And so now he's urging the church, the individual believers that God has called who have come together to make one family of faith, He's urging us to live in unity because our unity will be a witness to the world. Our unity will be a witness to a world who says, but I know you, I know who you are, I know how you act, I know how prideful you are, I know how big your ego is, I know how, how you are, are, man, you're really hard to get along with and all of a sudden you're going to tell me that you're part of this family of faith and, and you're all about unity and I've never seen that in you before, how is that possible? It's possible because of Jesus. It's possible because of how Jesus has transformed us. He takes selfish creatures who are all about us and he transforms us so that we're all about him and that our lives are not about us anymore and our fame and our glory, but that our lives would point to him for his glory and that the goal of our life is to live for his glory now because as you have heard Danny up here and as you've heard Nidia up here and you've heard our team up here say that it. He's the one that's worthy of all the praise. There's nobody here that's worthy of the praise. It's Jesus that's worthy of the praise. He's the only one that's worthy. And so now we as a church are called by Paul to live in unity. He urges us. Walk worthy in your calling, church. 
And if you're going to walk worthy, you're going to care about living in humility and living in unity. Because we need each other. We make each other better. We make each other stronger, right? We need each other. And that's the purpose of the church because that same world that has a hard time believing that anybody could be changed by Jesus Christ is the same world that says, why do I need the church? Because the church behaves just like the world. I don't see a difference. You see, because I've noticed that when people are down and out, instead of the church lending them a helping hand to pick them back up, the church kicks them when they're down and gossips about them when they're down and wants to kick them out when they're down. When it should be the exact opposite. When you and I have been transformed by Jesus and we're striving to live in unity with humility, it's the church's privilege that when somebody has been kicked down, we give them a hand to help them back up. To say, brother, I've been where you are. Sister, I've been where you are. I know what that's like. But you know what? Jesus got me through and he'll get you through also. Let me give you a hand and help you up. That's what it's about, church. That is something the world cannot explain. That is a witness to the world to say something different is going on there. Those people don't behave right. They don't behave the way the world has conditioned us to behave. How come they act differently? How come they live differently? How come they love differently? Oh, it must be that Jesus guy they keep talking about. Let me, let me, let me find out more about him. And our unity, our humility, our focus on Christ is a witness to the world. And he does it through us. He does it through the local church. He does it through all local churches who are God-fearing and Christ-honoring. And preach the word and the gospel faithfully. See, the first thing I want you to understand is something I've already talked about is that a worthy walk is dependent on connection. If you're taking notes, make sure you get that down. A worthy walk is dependent on connection. See, Paul has spent the first three chapters of this book of Ephesus reminding us of how God saved us and how we're saved for his glory and how we now need to be living in unity. Now, if I can remind you of something, any book you read in the Bible any letter, a letter from Paul or a letter from somebody else could even be anonymous. Like last week, the book of Hebrews. We don't, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. Many people believe they know who it is, but nobody knows for sure because we're not told. It's one of those things we'll hopefully find out on the other side of heaven. Some of us are going to say, I knew it all along. I knew it was you that wrote Hebrews. And some of us are going to say, wow, we were way off, man, right? But do, whoever it is that wrote it, understand that when these letters were written, there were no chapter numbers. There were no verse numbers. Those were added later so that you and I could go back and recall and find a verse pretty quickly. But when they were originally written, they were just written like a letter. And you don't put chapters and divisions and verse numbers in letters. So as Paul has written this letter, he started out by reminding the church in Ephesus that, that of their calling to salvation, right? They've been saved. And he says, and since you've been saved, you must now live in unity. And for three chapters, he's been hammering this point home that's why he starts verse uh, chapter four with what word what word starts chapter four therefore so he's referring to everything he's just told us in the first three chapters because god has saved you and because you're the church and because you're a witness to the world you need to walk in unity therefore i paul the prisoner of the lord urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received there it is again, Pastor Louis, the calling. And yeah, you said it's salvation. What, what is Paul referring to? Well, he's referring to Ephesians 1.3. Go back to the first chapter of Ephesians. Look at Ephesians 1.3. Look at what he says to the church. 
The church is the believers. He says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Do you get what he's saying there? You and I, every blessing we've ever had, every blessing we've ever received, every blessing we're ever going to get is because of Jesus, it's through Jesus, and it's for Jesus. Everything we've ever been blessed with, everything we've ever been given, everything we ever have. And Paul says, and the utmost of this, the greatest blessing you could ever receive is your salvation. It's the greatest thing you've been called to, to be his son or his daughter. Man, I can think of a lot of blessings in my life. I'm grateful for the blessings in my life. I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my children. I'm grateful for the calling as far as being a pastor in this wonderful church. I'm grateful for so many blessings, but man, there's no blessing in my life that compares to the day that Jesus saved me, that I was lost and now I'm found. I was blind and now I see. God opened my spiritual eyes and he gave me vision. God gives me the strength of the Holy Spirit inside of me to walk worthy of the calling that he's put on my life. He gives you that same strength through the Holy Spirit inside of you to walk worthy of the calling in your life the calling of salvation. You have no greater calling on your life than to be a son or daughter of the living God. That's the greatest calling you have on your life. I don't care what title you wear. I don't care how many titles you have, right? Some of my favorite titles, I'm known as Michelle's husband. That's one of my favorite titles in all the world. I'm known as, as father of four amazing kids. They're amazing to me. I don't care if they're amazing to you. They're amazing to me, okay, right? Uh, so I wear that title of dad. When I hear that word dad, when my daughters say daddy, what, what do you want? What is it? It's not fair. It's just not fair, right? There's a lot of titles that I wear, right? Son, brother, pastor. Most of us were known by our titles, right? Pastor, coach, doctor, teacher, this, that. We're known by what we do, right? But you'll have no greater calling and no greater title than to be a son of Jesus or a daughter of Jesus, than to be saved by Jesus. That's the greatest calling that you have. And Paul is urging us here, live worthy of your calling. Live worthy of your calling. And if you're going to do so, it's going to be dependent on connection. We must be connected and understand that our strength to endure is going to come from our ability as a church to stay connected as a family of faith. That's going to help us get to the finish line as we keep our eyes on Jesus. We need each other, again, to strengthen each other towards that. Can I remind you of something that Proverbs 27, 17 says? As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need each other. We make each other better. We make each other stronger. We're there for each other, right? How did the writer of, of Ecclesiastes put it? Pity the person who falls and has no one to help them up. Two, two are better than one. Three are better than two. For they get more, more done with their labor, with their work. And, and if they're fighting, they got somebody that has their back, right? We need each other, folks. We were never meant to live the Christian life alone. We were never meant to live the Christian life by ourselves. So when you hear that, and maybe you used to say it, I used to say it, I don't need to go to church to worship God. Technically, you don't. Technically, I don't need to go home to be married to Michelle. But I know that if I don't go home, it's going to be a lot worse. <laughs> Amen? Huh? So that doesn't make much sense to me when people tell me I don't need to go to church to worship God because what it really does tell me, and I'm going to say this with all the love in my heart because I want unity in the church. I want unity from people that are watching online. But when you say something like that, it shows that you're biblically illiterate, that you don't know what the Bible teaches. 
Because the Bible speaks over and over of how we need each other. The Bible speaks over and over of how we were created for community. The Bible speaks over and over that there is no Lone Ranger Christians. You can't. And I've said this before, not even the Lone Ranger was alone. He had an assistant. He had a, a sidekick, a guy named Tonto, right? We say that in English. We don't say that in Spanish, okay? All right? But he had a guy named Tonto, right? Not even the Lone Ranger was alone. You're not supposed to, you're not supposed to walk through this life by yourself. We need to stay connected in community if we're going to live that worthy walk, amen? But not only that, what I need you to understand also is that a worthy walk is defined by consistency, We've got to be consistent with it. You see, it's one thing to do it one time. It's one thing to show up one time. It's one thing to serve one time. It's a whole other thing to do it for the lifetime. Because what did we talk about last week? Running your race to win. And that, that's what walk means here. When Paul says, live a life worthy of the, a worthy walk of your calling, the word walk for a Christian means your life, the span of your lifetime. So when somebody asks you, how's your walk? Well, what do you mean, how's my walk? Like, do I have a limp or, or what? No, no, no. When a Christian asks that, they want to know is, how's your spiritual walk with God? How's your life going? I'm concerned about that. I, man, I want to see you succeed. I want to help you in any way that I can. How's your walk with the Lord? How are you conducting yourself as a Christian? How are you living as a Christian? Paul says, walk worthy. Walk, live your life as a Christian, worthy of the calling you have received. You do that by being connected, and you do that by consistently walking that walk for Christ. you got to do it in a consistent fashion. It doesn't just happen once here or there. It's not just a sometime thing. The Christian life is an all-the-time thing. Let me say that again, church. It's not just a sometime thing. You don't turn your Christianity off and on. No, it's an all-the-time thing. It reminds you of a, a comedian I just heard the other day, a Christian comedian. It was hilarious. He was talking about it. And he said, I didn't know that there was a, such a thing as part-time Christians. But there is such a thing as part-time Christians because I, I was calling some folks on our, on our church's list of an event that was coming up, and I called Sister So-and-So. And he goes, I guess I called her on her day off from being a Christian because when she answered the phone, she used some, some pretty colorful language, right? And she said, who the blankety-blank is this, and how did you get this blankety-blank number? And he said, sister, it's brother so-and-so from the church. <laughs> and then she responded, well, well, praise the Lord, brother. How are you doing? <laughs> That's a little convicting for all of us. We all fall into that, right? Well, praise the Lord, brother. How are you doing? All of a sudden, that switch was flipped. To, I'm back on as being a Christian. Guys, we don't turn it off and turn it on. It's a consistent thing that happens all the time. Should happen all the time. Now, are we going to stumble from time to time? Are we going to mess up from time to time? Of course, because there's not anybody in this room that's perfect. Newsflash. Can we take the pressure off? You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. That's why we needed a perfect Savior. That's why we needed Jesus to go to the cross for us. Because if we would have gone to the cross for ourselves, God said that is not sufficient for payment. That blood is tainted. It's got sin in it. I need perfect blood to redeem your life. So Jesus willingly gave his perfect blood that you and I would have a future and have hope. That's why we want to be consistent in our walk. We want it to be an all-the-time thing, not just a sometime thing. Look at Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. I asked you to go to Ephesus 4, but look at right before that, the last words in Ephesus chapter 3. 
Just, just look right above chapter 4. Look at Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus. It's the same prayer that he has for you and me. Look at this prayer that he prays starting in verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason, Paul said, I kneel before the Father. This is the reason I'm praying for you. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. What word did he use to describe a local body of believers? What word did he use to describe the church? What word did he use to describe a group of believers? What's the word? Family. We're family. The blood of Jesus makes us family. Blood is thicker than water. And you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with the power in your inner being through his spirit. There it is. He just says that again in Ephesians 4, that you are strengthened through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, there's that new heart, Jesus living in that heart. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend. This is his prayer for us, church, with all the saints, all the saints. What is he talking about saints? The people that are in heaven that have already gone ahead of us? No, 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 no. We're the saints. If you are saved by Jesus Christ, you're a saint. So it's not only your mom that says that about you now. The Bible says that about you, right? You're a saint. All that simply means is you've been bought by the blood of Jesus. So it says here, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, all the believers, what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Why do I want to be filled with the fullness of God? So God can use me for his glory. I can be a witness to others. I can share my faith with others. I can invite others to church. I can serve them in Jesus' name. And then he says this in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I can't believe you're not saying this with me, but it's all right. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. There, we already said it, Pastor. We don't have to say it later. No, we're going to say it later too. All right. This is Paul's prayer for the church. Why do you think it's something we declare together at the end of every worship experience that we have? Because we want to do it consistently. We want God to work through us to impact our communities, to impact South Texas, to impact the world. Because we know that Jesus is better. And we know that his kingdom is the only kingdom that will last for all of eternity. Every nation, every country has a start date and an end date. Every kingdom has a start date and an end date. The only kingdom that will exist for all of eternity is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you and I get to be a part of it because he called us one day to salvation. Thank you, Lord, for that gift. And so that leads to the last thing I kind of want to leave you with today, and it's this. It's not the last one, but it's a worthy walk is demonstrated by humility. Ooh. All of a sudden, it's going to get quiet in the church. A worthy walk? Wait, okay, I'm being urged to live worthy of the calling I've received, and I want to do it consistently. I want to do it in a God-honoring way, but that's going to require humility? It's like you were saying, Pastor Louis. we're not wired that way. I have an ego. I got pride. I like having the last word. I like winning the fight. I like having to say so. I like having authority. I like having power. I love using that power. I sure hope my wife is not looking at me. Because 
she's thinking, you're the biggest hypocrite for being up here preaching that. Because you love to win the fight, Louis, and you love to have the last word. And you love to win. And you got an ego the size of Texas. I do. All those things are true about me. That's why I need Jesus. And that's why I need to put my eyes on Jesus and not myself or anybody else, because that's when I'll get in trouble. Pride always leads to division. Always. When pride rears its ugly head, it always leads to division. One thing I tell young pastors, I have the privilege to train and, and show and teach about preaching or leading a church or whatever it might be as I lead our campus pastors. I always try to tell them this. When pride walks on the altar, God walks off the stage. Jesus walks off of here. If you walk up here with pride. If you ever stand behind a pulpit to open God's word and proclaim it to God's people with anything but humility in your heart, still in awe that God would actually use you to do something like this, unless you're doing something like that, you're in trouble. Pride has no place in God's church. Let me say that again. Pride has no place in God's church. There is no room for your ego or my ego in Jesus' church. I didn't get an amen on that church. It got quiet. Paul says, if this is going to happen, it has to happen in humility. But that's something that doesn't come natural. It's something that didn't come natural to the audience that was hearing him. Ephesus was a booming town. Ephesus, think of modern-day New York or Los Angeles, and that gives you a picture of Ephesus. It wasn't in uh, the, the, the province of Rome, but it was a Roman city. It, it wasn't in Italy, I want to say, where Rome was, the, the heart of the Roman Empire. It was in a province of Rome. It was in what we know as modern-day Turkey, which back then was Asia Minor. And it was a coastal city. That means that all ships went through it. But not only that, it was a major port city, a coastal city. But all the major roadways of Asia Minor went through Ephesus. Ephesus was where you wanted to be if you wanted to accomplish anything. Ephesus had a 50,000-seat amphitheater. An amphitheater is like a concert venue, right? It's open. It has a, a stage. It had a 50,000-seat back in that day of the first century. Ephesus had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the, the temple that was dedicated to Artemis, or you might know her better as Diana, the goddess of wisdom, the Greek goddess of wisdom. The remains of that temple are still there today. It's one of the seven wonders of the world. Ephesus was, had it going on. That's why when Paul traveled through there on his second missionary journey, he said, I'm going to stop here for a while. I need to plant a church here. I need to plant a gospel-centered church that's going to reach people because there's all kinds of people here. In Ephesus, you had every ethnicity, you had every country, you had every background, you had every language. You'd walk the streets there and you'd hear all kinds of different languages because it was a hub where everybody went. Paul said, what better place to plant a church than to plant the gospel here because as people come and go, they're going to take the gospel of Jesus with them. Doesn't that make sense, church? Huh? And so when Paul is telling this letter would have been read publicly in Ephesus, it would have been read to the believers, but non-believers would have heard it also. Amen? When a Roman ear would have heard that we need to walk in humility, they would have laughed. They would have walked out of the place. A Roman person knew nothing of humility. That was not the Roman way of life. The Roman way of life is the exact opposite. The Roman Empire was all about the survival of the fittest. OTSS, only the strong survive. It's kill or be killed in the Roman Empire. It literally was. But the one thing that a Roman citizen knew, a Roman citizen walked anywhere on the earth with total confidence because nobody could mess with a Roman citizen. 
The only thing a Roman citizen ever feared was the emperor because the emperors were crazy and they could take your life whenever they wanted to. But as far as being in another country and I have rights and this and that and I better watch myself, nobody messed with a Roman citizen. So they walked around with all kinds of pride and ego. You can't touch me. Paul was a Roman citizen. That's why Paul wasn't killed at first because he had to go to trial in Rome. He was a Roman citizen. They couldn't do that to him, right? And so a Roman ear hearing that you need to be humble, that would have been the most foreign thing to them like it is to some of us. Pastor, I can relate because as you're telling me right now that I need to be humble, that doesn't register with me, bro. That's not me. I'm grateful, man, but I know that there's something greater than you and his name is Jesus and you will humble yourself or he will humble you. It's one or the other. Because you know Jesus is the ultimate picture of humility. Do you know that, church? All you got to do is read Philippians 2 where Paul tells us to have the same attitude as that of Christ. Not to consider others better than ourselves. He says, this is how humble Jesus was. He took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, death on a cross. The most humiliating form of death that there was in the Roman Empire was to be hung on a cross, to die on a cross. And that's how they killed Jesus. It was reserved for the worst criminals. And Paul says he humbled himself to the point of death, death on a cross. And we sang it when we sang all hail King Jesus. That is why at the name of Jesus, God has exalted him and given him the highest name and the highest place. That's why Jesus is the only one worthy of our praise and worthy of our worship. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's why I'm telling you, you will bow willingly or you will be made to bow one day before Jesus. It's just a question of whether you want to bow with him being your savior or being your judge. But you will bow before Jesus. Every person that's ever lived will bow before Jesus. The greatest atheist you've ever studied and read about who denied his very existence will bow before Jesus and declare that he is king of kings and lord of lords. It's just a matter of whether you do it willingly or they make, he makes you do it. But it will happen. It will happen. Walk in humility. A Roman ear would have known nothing of that. That's what the Roman Colosseum was all about. Roman Colosseum was built like in 70 AD, right around the year that Peter was martyred for his faith and Paul was martyred for his faith. The Emperor Flavian, he, he, he built the Roman Colosseum, different than the amphitheater. Roman Colosseum is what we would think of today as a modern-day football stadium, right? You've seen pictures of the Rome. It still stands in Rome. And why did they make this? For the sole purpose of reminding the whole world how dominant Rome was. We are the ultimate power, and this is what our culture is all about. People fight to the death in this arena. The gladiators fought to the death, right? Everybody's seen Russell Crowe take on uh, everybody else, right? That's a picture of what truly happened. That was their society. Slaves fought to the death. Criminals fought to the death. The worst of society was put in there. You know why? Because we've also read that Christians were fed to the lions in that Colosseum. The worst of society. Rome considered Christians the worst of society. Why? Because they saw them as weak. You guys are about humility and gentleness and patience. Are you kidding me? That's not what this culture is about. We'll feed you to the lions. And it was even in that, Romans watching Christians being fed to the lions that began to transform Rome and the gospel started to take place because people watched them and said, these people are different. They're not fighting. They're not so desperate for their lives because they think this is all there is. They're looking to somebody else. They got their eyes not on this world, but they got their eyes on somebody else. 
And that was foreign to Roman culture. Greeks would have heard this letter from Paul. And Greeks would have laughed at it. Because Greeks were all about the mind and the intellect and philosophy and reason and logic. And humility has nothing to do with that. Because Greeks didn't want to show you how military, physically they were superior than you. Greeks wanted you to know, wanted you to know how much smarter they were than you. That's why they debated in public places. That's why they debated in the Areopagus in Acts 16 when Paul goes to Athens. He sees the finest minds debating and Paul joins them. Man, I see you have a very spiritual city. You have a God for everything under the sun. You even have a statue to an unknown God. Well, that God that you claim to be unknown, I come to proclaim to you today. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Because Greeks were about being intellectually superior. So they wanted nothing to do with humility. They saw that as weakness. See, Paul says to be humble, but then he says you got to do it with two other things. He mentions in that verse with gentleness and with patience. Whoa, forget it, Louis. I'm out. <laughs> gentleness? I'm not gentle. I'm harsh. I'm real, man. I keep it real, Louis. This is what I love, that the people that love to claim to keep it real don't like it when Jesus keeps it real with them. Because Jesus, you want to talk about somebody who keeps it real? Jesus keeps it real, but he does it in humility. You do it with gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness, it's meekness. You say, Louis, this is what I can't stand about you preachers. You love to say little statements like that, but what does that mean? It's not about weakness, it's about meekness. Meekness, is all, all this means is that you're gentle, not because you're being made to be. Gentleness is meekness under control. It means that you have the power to be gentle and you choose to be gentle. Not because anybody's making you, but because you live under the authority of Jesus Christ and he allows you to have self-control. He allows you to hold your temper. You can't use the excuse anymore that you come from a long line of people who lose their temper. If you only knew my dad, man, if you only knew my grandma, forget it. Well, it's because I'm Mexican, man. Uh, it's because I'm Irish. Have you noticed it's every ethnicity that has a bad temper? It doesn't matter what it is. It's because I'm Italian. It's because I'm this. It's because of that. It doesn't matter. It's because you're selfish. It's because you like to give in to your own ego. That's why. It's not about you being a certain ethnicity or coming from this family. That's why Jesus calls us to be humble and gentle because we have the power to be. Because doesn't the power of the Holy Spirit live inside of you? Isn't the power of the Holy Spirit guiding you? So you can be gentle right? And then patience. Are you kidding me? Patience? Louis, that, that's the worst one of all, to be patient. But if Jesus is doing a work in you, if he's doing an operation in you, you're going to show proof of it through your patience. You know how I know that? Because if you go to Galatians 5.22, it talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And we just said that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, believer, and you're under his power of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's, that's Galatians 5.22. The Bible says against those things there is no law. Because that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what God is trying to produce in you. That's what God is trying to produce in me. So guess what? If God is trying to produce humility, gentleness, and patience in you, you think he's going to give you opportunities to show those things? Oh, i got to humble myself again. i got to show gentleness again when I want to strike back. i got to be patient Okay, Lord, I know you're doing a work in me. That's why I have to recommit myself to Jesus every morning because without him, I'll fail. 
The moment somebody cuts me off on 23rd Street, I want to tell them they're number one. <laughs> it's true. In my flesh. That's why before probably my feet hit the floor, I got to tell Jesus, I haven't messed up today, but I haven't gotten out of bed yet. So, Lord, help me with the rest of my day. I need to be surrendered to you in every situation. I need to be submitted to you when I want to lose it with my wife, when I lose it with my kids. And if we're being honest here, I'm being the biggest hypocrite. Because as a professional Christian, as a pastor, they're really the only ones I can afford to lose it with. Are you all hearing me, church? And it's one thing for me to stand up here and tell you, I hope that the man they see up here is the same man they see at the house. But in my flesh, sometimes that's just not true because they're the ones that I do take it out on sometimes. They're the ones that I do lose my temper with, my kids. And I have to apologize to them. I have to say, you know, dad doesn't have it all together sometimes. That's why I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. And I apologize for when I, I have lost it. Now, there's sometimes they deserve it when I've lost it with them. But it still doesn't mean I have to do it in a certain way. That's what I'm getting at. Doesn't mean they get off scot-free for things that they deserve to be reprimanded for, but there's just a right way to do it, right? Because I'm under the control of the Holy Spirit. God is saying, Paul is saying, if you're going to do this, you're going to do this with humility. You're going to do this with gentleness. You're going to do this with patience. And ultimately, in this last verse, look at what we see. That a worthy walk is dignified by unity. And all I want to point you to is that Paul gives us seven things Seven elements of unity based on the Trinity, based on the three persons of the Trinity. Look at verse 6. We're really starting, starting before that. But look at what he says. Make every effort to keep the unity, church, of the Spirit. There's the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace because there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, your salvation, one Lord, Jesus, one faith in Christ, one baptism, and one God and Father, our Creator. The Spirit is talked about. The Savior is talked about. The Creator, God the Father, is talked about. And everything that brings us together as one church is talked about. Church, we have one body, one church, one Spirit, one calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. Do you see a theme there? Do you think God walks, walks us walk, wants us walking in unity? Because you know ultimately what happens when we walk in unity as a church. We answer Jesus' prayer in John 17. If you ever want to read the Lord's Prayer, don't go to the Sermon on the Mount. Don't read the Our Father. That's not the Lord's Prayer. Too many people think that the Lord's Prayer is Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That kingdom come. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. That's how he taught us to pray. If you ever want to read the Lord's Prayer, read John 17. John 17 is the prayer he prayed before he would be betrayed and go to the cross. And he's speaking with his heavenly father and he's praying for his disciples that are with him at that time who would launch the church. But he's also praying for us who will believe because of their word 2,000 years later. And you know what he prayed to the father? This is what he prayed in John 17, 20 and 21. I pray not only for these that I have around me today, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. Our unity will be a witness to the world, Jesus is saying. When we choose to walk in gentleness, I could get back at you, but I choose not to. 
because I'm in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to bear with you. We're going to bear with each other in love. We're going to be patient with each other. And we're going to work together because we're a church that is united. We're a united family. And that is proven not when we're in here on a Sunday morning singing all hail to King Jesus and listening to a pastor shout at you. That happens when we walk out these doors, folks. And the unbelieving world around us and your cousins and your tios and your tias at home and your grandma and your grandpa and your friends at work are watching you because you talk about how you went to church this weekend. They're like, man, I don't see any difference. Or, yeah, man, something's going on with you. Something's gotten a hold of you because you're different. Yeah, let me tell you about him. His name is Jesus. Our unity will be a witness to the world. And Jesus says, from the unity that they see in, in the church, they will believe in me because they'll know that it's real. They'll know that it's sincere. And church, I, I just want to share with you some proof of that. Did you know that from January 1st to today, to this Sunday, across our five campuses and our sixth campus, our online campus, we have seen 257 people step from death into life in Jesus Christ. 257 people this year, not including what God has already done this morning. Leading into today, it was 257 people that have stepped over the line of faith and gone from death to life. God has done an operation and given them a new heart this year through the ministry of BT Church, through you and what you've done. Not only that, did you know that including our earlier service here in McAllen, I don't know about any others today across our other campuses, but including our early service here in McAllen, we have seen 170 people go public with their faith and get baptized this year. 170. Think about that, church. How amazing that is. How wonderful it is to celebrate that. To see people willingly go public with their faith to declare, I have decided to follow Jesus. He's called me. He's changed me. He's saved me. And he's doing a work in me. He's operating on me. Aren't you glad that God is operating on you? Aren't you glad that he hasn't stopped? It's a continual thing, church. Let's let it be a continual thing for all of us. And let's continue to walk together in the unity of the Holy Spirit for the glory of our great Savior. Amen? Amen. For the glory of our great Savior. Can I ask you to stand with me today? Let's stand together. Let's go to our great God. I'm going to invite our altar ministers to come forward. And as our altar ministers come forward, I want to just declare to you, again, if you're part of, the, of this family of faith, you know what we do at the end of our services. This altar is going to be open. You can come up and pray for any reason, any reason you might have. You're celebrating something wonderful. Come up. They want to celebrate with you. If, if you're carrying a burden that you just don't want to be carrying anymore, they want to help you with that. They want to pray for you to give that burden to Jesus, to leave it at the cross. But most importantly, make no mistake about it. We do what we do here at BT Church to point people to Jesus Christ. That you would hear him calling you to be his. And that you would answer and respond. Sometimes it's going to be like that. It's going to be that audible. Lord, ain't no mistake about it. You're calling me. Other times it's going to be in a softer voice. It's going to be a conviction. I know I need Jesus. If that's you right now as we get ready to pray. I want to encourage you to say yes. I mentioned to you next Sunday, I get, I get to celebrate my 34th birthday. My 34th spiritual birthday. 34 years ago next Sunday, Jesus called me to be his and I answered the call. 
I said yes. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed him. And by faith, I received him as Savior and Lord. The same thing can happen for you today. Today can be your second birthday, your spiritual birthday. Today is the day you could be born again in Christ. Would you bow your heads with me, church? Let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for being so good to us. We pray right now, Father, that you would hear our hearts. In just a moment, Father, as we worship, we're going to flood this altar with our praises, our cares, our burdens. But, Father, before we do that, we just want to make sure that everybody here is given an opportunity to say yes to you, Jesus, as they know they need you. If you're ready to receive Christ as your Savior and Lord, if you have heard him calling you today, would you be ready to respond in faith? You see, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. It's that simple. God calls, you respond in faith, and you confess with your mouth. Would you confess in this moment? Just, say, just pray this prayer with me. Say, dear God, thank you that you love me. And that you proved it by sending your son to die for me. Jesus, I need you because I'm a sinner. And I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose again three days later. And with all the faith I have, I trust in you for the salvation of my soul. Guide my life from this day forward because I am yours. Thank you for loving me and thank you for saving me today. In your name I pray, amen.